0: I must admit, I don't understand Why God would let me face this painful circumstance All I have to cling to are His word and His name. But that's enough, so I will trust. It's for my good and for His glory. This trial's not the end of the story. There's a bigger picture God alone can see. Faith will take me through this sorrow, for I know He holds tomorrow, and He assures me it's for my good and for His glory. I love the Lord, and He has promised me He'll work all things for good, through my tears I believe. His ways are higher than any of our own, and though my heart aches, He makes no mistakes. It's for my good and for His glory, this trial's not the end of the story, there's a bigger picture God alone can see. Faith will take me through this sorrow, for I know He holds tomorrow, and He assures me it's for my good and for His glory. Though I would not have chosen the suffering that has come, I'm willing now to say, Lord, not my will, but Thine be done. It's for my good and for His glory. This trial's not the end of the story. There's a bigger picture God alone can see. Faith will take me through this sorrow, for I know He holds tomorrow, and He assures me it's for my good and for His glory. For His glory.
1: Thank you for that song. I love that song. Great, great message in there. And man, there's a lot of stuff that comes up that I don't like, and ways that God has done things, and like, Lord, why are you doing it this way? But in the end, it turns out God was right again, and thank you for that song. That was good. So, Alright, we'll go ahead and go to 2 Timothy this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, this morning's message is going to be more kind of, of a Bible study, I guess you could say. And I, I don't know if I'll get through this whole message today. This uh, might be uh, this might be a two-parter here. We'll see what happens. Unless you don't mind if I preach really long. We can just let the Methodists beat us to the chicken house today. Uh, well, <laughs> I won't do that to you. But anyway, Second uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, a very well-known passage of Scripture. And it says, um, in chapter 1, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, Rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Now I'm going to ask you some questions here, and just be just be honest. But uh, you know, how many think studying the Bible is easy? How many of you before you've ever been studying the Bible, and you were just like, what in the world is this talking about? I mean, anybody ever been there besides me? I've been there before. How many of you have ever been studying the Bible and you saw a verse and it seemed to completely contradict something that you thought you knew to be true? I mean, you believed a certain way and that verse just seemed to completely contradict it. Have you ever been there before? Alright, I've been there before. I've been there many times. And... What I want to try to do this morning, I want, to, I want to show you some things that I think can maybe help you with that. And really, the title of my message is Just Keep Studying, okay? You are going to run into things that are going to completely throw you. I had a guy come to me one time and he had a question about a verse, I think it was in Isaiah or Jeremiah, and it mentioned a jinn in there. And apparently, a jinn that work is another word for a genie. And he's like, is the Bible talking about genies? And, he's like, and, and I went and I showed him and I showed him some other verses where it used that word, and it's actually talking about like a snare or a trap. It's not talking about a genie. You know, There aren't genies. There's no such thing. And, but he said that he came across that, and it really threw him. And he had kind of quit studying for a while because he, he got hung up on that, and it really bothered him that the Bible was talking about genies. Well, here's the thing. I wasn't talking about genies. It was talking about a gin. It was talking about a snare or a trap. But it's not a word we're real familiar with. And I want to read a passage to you because this passage is encouraging to me. Because the book, the book of Daniel, I love the book of Daniel, but some of the stuff in the book of Daniel is very, very difficult. Okay, And I'm sure if you've read your Bible, if you've been scratching your head a few times, there's been times, especially in the book of Daniel, where I've Felt like you know, I guess I literally wasn't doing it, but I literally felt like I was just in the office, just beating my head against the wall, trying to figure this out, and I was just struggling. And I remember, but this passage in Daniel, it's always encouraged me. Verse fourteen of chapter eight. Okay, Daniel has just seen a vision. Okay, Daniel himself, the writer of this, he has seen a vision. Now, a lot of the visions that you read about Daniel are very tough to understand. But understand who we're talking about. We're talking about Daniel here. He's the one who saw the vision. And verse 14, he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uleai, which called and said, Gabriel. Make this man to understand the vision. So notice Daniel, he sees this vision, we're not going to read all of it, and he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get what he's just seen, okay? And if you read Daniel chapter 8, you're probably going to be like, what did I just read? Okay? Well, Daniel saw it, and he didn't know what he had just seen. And so Gabriel comes along to help Daniel understand what he has seen. Verse 17, So when he came near where I stood, and when he came I was afraid and fell on my face, but he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. There's 2,300 days talked about here in Daniel. And Daniel doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. Verse 26, we'll jump down to there. And so Gabriel, he explains the vision to Daniel. But verse 26 says, And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Okay? So think about this. Daniel chapter 8. It talks about 2,300 days. And here's the thing. I claim to know what that 2,300 days means. I I, I claim to understand Daniel chapter 8. But listen, when Daniel saw the vision, he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. When Gabriel explained the vision to him, he still didn't get it. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, that encourages me a little bit because when I read Daniel 8, I'm like, I I don't get it. But here's the thing. At the end of it too, he mentions to seal it up for it shall not be for many days. There is a reason... They, you know, Daniel didn't understand this, and nobody understood this in the Old Testament times. It wasn't time yet. But then, if you go to, but I just got up here and I said I understand it. Well, the only reason I can understand it is because we have the Book of Revelation, and if you study the Book of Revelation and some things that are said in Matthew and Luke, you can actually understand Daniel chapter eight and in uh, uh, Revelation. It mentions at the end in chapter 22, at the very last chapter, unlike Daniel, it says, seal not up these things. And so understand that when Daniel got this, he wasn't supposed to understand it yet. And he didn't. You know, now, thankfully, we can understand that, but let me tell you, it's still hard. It's still difficult. It's not going to come without much study. Here in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about Daniel chapter eight. And I'm hoping I can help everyone to understand what those twenty-three hundred days of Daniel mean. But that but that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about prophecy or the twenty-three hundred days of Daniel. I just wanted to show you that there are things in the Bible that are tough to understand. There are things that are going to have you scratching your head and uh, wondering and that might get you discouraged and might cause you to say, you know what, I can't figure this out. I quit. I'm done. And that is the last thing that you should do. And I want to help you with something today because this I think is one of the most important lessons that you can learn. Just this week, I had somebody that asked me a very good question. One that thankfully I've been asked before, so I was prepared for it. But he asked me a very good question about a verse in the Bible that seems to contradict everything that Baptists teach. And I get this question a lot. And I want to show you something that I think will help you understand the Bible. And so one of the most important things that you can do as a student of the Bible is learn to let the Bible define itself. Do you all want to know what the best Bible dictionary in the world is? The Bible. Now, you hear me talk about the Webster's 1828 Dictionary quite a bit. And if you get a Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the original English dictionary, you will find in there, I think, the closest definitions to what the words in our Bible mean. In fact, in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, you will see several Bible verses. It will give a definition of a word And then one of the examples it would use in a sentence was a Bible verse. There are Bible verses all over that Webster's 1828 dictionary. But did you know that dictionaries were not inspired by God? Did you know that dictionaries are not inspired and errant and infallible like the Word of God? You know, there's a lot of great commentaries out there. I like reading commentaries. But do you want to know what the greatest of all Bible commentaries is? The Bible itself. The Bible is its best commentary that you can read. And one of the things that I see that gets people hung up all the time and gets them discouraged, maybe gets them off on a false doctrine or even makes them just give up, is because they will look at maybe one verse, they'll look at one word in the Bible, and they will give it a definition from a dictionary that is not inspired, and they will not let the Bible define itself. They will tell me something about that a commentary says, and they will are basically putting all their authority in a dictionary or a commentary. You can't do that. And so I want to show you some examples today. And here's the first one I want to give you. This is just this is just bonus, okay? Cuz these other words they all kind of go together and I think make you know, they make a good message. But first of all, um, we've got Easter coming up, right? Easter's not going to be too long from now, and we always have the Lord's Supper service on the Wednesday before the crucifixion. And we don't have a Good Friday service, okay? Now, everybody knows about Good Friday. Good Friday is very popular, very well known. Most religions do it. Another thing that's real big that I've seen even some Baptist churches doing is this Maundy Thursday thing, okay? Where Maundy Thursday, I think that's how you say it, Maundy Thursday, that's basically the time when Jesus had the Last Supper with the disciples. They believe that was the Thursday before the crucifixion. Okay? And then you have Good Friday. Friday was when Jesus died on the cross. And then Sunday, of course, was the resurrection. Well, here's the problem with that. The Bible says Jesus was going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. How can you die Friday morning and be in the grave three days and three nights and rise from the dead early Sunday morning? That doesn't work. And people you know, people try to explain it, well, you know, Friday counted as a day. Okay, so then even if you counted Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all as three days, that's only two nights. That's Friday night and Saturday night. What about the three nights? The Bible clearly says three nights. And what happens is people, uh, let me show you where they get this idea that Jesus died on a Friday. Because I'm telling you, it's wrong. We're not going to have a good Friday service. I mean, we could have a Friday service if we wanted to, but we're not going to do it because Jesus died on a Friday. He didn't die on a Friday. He died on a Wednesday. But Matthew 12, uh, 38 is where, where we see the three days and three nights. It says, Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given. To it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas, or Jonah, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. y'all see that? He said, I'm gonna be there three days and three nights, and you can't get that from him dying on a Friday. It can't it can't happen. And so, where do they get that idea? Well, They get that from, look at, what's John chapter 19 verse 31. John chapter 19 verse 31. This is why people believe Jesus died on a Friday. It says, And the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. Y'all see that? They can't leave Jesus on the cross because. It, the Sabbath day was coming, and the Sabbath day, while we know it's Saturday, it actually began the evening before. It began on Friday evening, right? And so it had to be Friday because Friday evening begins the Sabbath, and so therefore Jesus died on a Friday afternoon. Y'all saw it said Sabbath right there, didn't it? Did y'all see it said Sabbath there, and we all know that the Sabbath is a Saturday it begins Friday night, goes into Saturday till Saturday evening. So therefore, Jesus had to have died on a Friday or we've got a contradiction in the Bible. And then, Pastor Tommy, you've got to quit running your mouth about how inspired the Bible is. There's mistakes in it. But no, there are no mistakes. You see, what happens is people take Sabbath and say Saturday. Sabbath equals Saturday, right? Well, here's the thing. If you look in the dictionary, it will tell you that too. But if you look in the Bible, if you let the Bible define Sabbath, if you let the Bible defined itself, you can find out. Now, it takes a little bit of study. Now, and I know Good Friday, it was started by the Catholic Church. And they've, they've missed quite a bit. All right? So, uh, that's, a, that's one idea. Maybe we shouldn't go with that. But notice, it says in that verse, Upon the cross and the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day, that Sabbath day, this was a special Sabbath day, that Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, they may be taken away. And then John chapter nineteen verse fourteen it says, and it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour he saith unto the Jews, behold your King. And okay, so what's going on here? What's this talking about? Well, if you go back and you look in Exodus chapter twelve, go to Exodus chapter twelve. Exodus chapter twelve. I encourage you to take notes on this. This could be something too. You know, you want to get in an argument with your family on the holidays over, you know, Good Friday versus Good Wednesday. You can show them to show that it wasn't Friday. You can you can you can show them with math, okay? But that's not always enough for people. But look at Exodus chapter twelve and verse fifteen. It's, let's start at verse fourteen. And this day shall be unto you for memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and ye shall keep it a feast by the ordinance forever. Talking about the Feast of Passover. Okay, The Passover, it was on the first month on the 14th day. That was the Passover. The time that God brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then on the 15th day was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Feast of Passover the next day. Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay? And we see Jesus, they were celebrating the Passover there in the Last Supper, weren't they? On Tuesday. They're celebrating the Passover. On Tuesday, on the 14th day, that's very clear in the New Testament. And then in verse 15 Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses' houses. For the first day unto the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. And in that seventh day, there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them. Save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. Verse 17, And ye shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever in the first month. On the fourteenth day of the first month, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leaven, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You see, they had... And you can see this repeated throughout Exodus. I think in Deuteronomy it's in there too. and Maybe Leviticus... On the Passover, the fourteenth day of the first month, they would eat unleavened bread. That's what Jesus and his disciples were doing at the Last Supper. They were eating unleavened bread. Okay? And then the next or the next day is when Jesus died on the cross, and the feast of unleavened bread was about to start. The feet or he died on the Passover, I'm sorry, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it was going to begin, and that was a Sabbath week. Okay, the Sabbath, There was a time of rest. The seventh day it was a day of rest, and they had a Sabbath week for a whole week. They were not allowed to work, and that didn't begin on a Saturday. It began on the fifteenth day of the first month, and so that's why it says Sabbath in John. Sabbath doesn't always mean Saturday. Okay, they had Sabbath, a Sabbath week in the Bible. They had a week of rest. In the Bible. And so, if you just, if you look at what the Bible says, if you let the Bible be its own commentary, if you let the Bible define itself, you'll see very clearly that Jesus was right. He was going to be there three days and three nights. Just like he, just like he said, and it fits when the Bible says it was that that Sabbath wasn't high day. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread that was about to start. And therefore, they weren't allowed to do any works. So they needed to get him off the cross. Because they couldn't have Him there during a Sabbath. And so, just like the Bible teaches, it was three days and it was three nights. Therefore, Jesus died on the cross on Wednesday. Very clearly, but you have to let the Bible define itself. You can't take a word and get all hung up on it and say it means that. Well, if the Bible says it means that, then that's fine. But then here's, So here's where we're going to kind of get into a message. I want to show you a few words that often throw people Because they use a dictionary instead of a Bible. And turn to Mark chapter sixteen. Mark chapter sixteen, and I'm going to read a verse to you that just contradicts everything we teach around here as Baptists. Okay, Baptists, we are known for teaching that you can that baptism does not save anyone. We do not believe that a person has to be baptized to go to heaven. And in Mark chapter sixteen, verse fifteen. Um, it says, And he saith unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized. You see that? Shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Did you all see that? He that believeth and is baptized. You gotta go through the tank, alright? We're having an invitation after church, and if you wanna get saved, you can't just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You gotta go through the tank too. It says, He that believeth and is baptized. Did you all see that? He that believeth and is baptized. I had somebody just this week, they brought that up. And it's a great question. It says it right there. He that believeth and is baptized. And you know, Baptists have never been able to answer this question for Him. And so I decided to help Him out a little bit. And I showed Him another verse that says the same thing. Look at in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter's preaching... And he said then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see that? He said, Repent and be baptized. So we got two verses telling us we have to be baptized to go to heaven, right? So, you know, and so yes, you know, it says you have to be baptized to be saved. And you know what I told him? I said, yes, you do have to be baptized to be saved, to go to heaven. But here's the thing. Baptism doesn't always mean getting immersed in the water, does it? Now, it might, it might mean that the dictionary. I'm not going to read all the definitions. Well, I'll read one definition of baptized to you that's in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It means to administer the sacrament of baptism. To christen. By some denominations of Christians, baptism is performed by plunging or immersing the whole body in water. And this is done to none but adults. More generally, the ceremony is performed by sprinkling water on the face of a person, whether an infant or an adult. And in the case of an infant, by giving him a name in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, which is called christening. Now, is that what baptism is? Well, that's what it is in the dictionary. Well, you know what? The dictionary is not inspired by God, is it? All right. So, what is it talking about? It says you have to be baptized, and I'm going to tell you, yes, you do have to be baptized to go to heaven, but not in water. All right, because that was Mark chapter 16, right? Now look at Mark chapter one. Just this just happens to be in the book of Mark two. Let's let the Bible define itself. What is baptism? Okay, what is baptism? Well, it's being dunked in the water. Well. Actually, there's more than one definition. Verse 7, is talking about John the Baptist, and he preached, saying, "...there cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost." Did you all see that? So, baptism is not just water baptism, is it? You can be baptized in the water, but he said, That's what I do. I baptize you in water. I can baptize you in water. Okay? But Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you, if you're going to be saved, you do have to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And that's what happens. And how do you get baptized with the Holy Ghost? Well, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Baptism doesn't always mean getting immersed in the water. It is what Jesus does when he saves us. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Acts, the same book that said repent and be baptized, Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days Hence, y'all see that? In Acts 2, said the same thing. In Acts and in Mark, it's clear that being, there's water baptism and there's baptism of the Holy Ghost. And if you're going to be saved, you do have to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And that is necessary. How do you get baptized with the Holy Ghost? Not by getting dunked in the water. By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll show you some Scriptures on that in just a moment. But you know what? It doesn't even end there. Notice John said, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Well, how do you get baptized in fire? I mean, what's that, what is that talking about? Well, Mark chapter 10, verse 38, it says, But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto Him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on My right hand and on My left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given them for whom it is prepared. Jesus said, I've got a baptism that's coming. And you know what He was talking about? He was talking about, I've got I've got some trials coming my way. I've got some fiery trials coming my way. I've got some hard times coming. I am going to be covered with trouble. I am going to be covered with trials. And we see Jesus suffered greatly not long after that. And we see the disciples too later. They were covered with trials. They were covered with sorrows and tribulations. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it already be kindled? But I have a baptism... To be baptized with. And how am I strengthened till it be accomplished? Suppose ye that I have come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. Jesus is talking about the fire, the trouble that was coming his way, and he says, I'm going to be baptized in it. You see, because baptism, what it really means, it just means, it means a covering. Okay? That's one of the reasons that we know baptism is through immersion. And not sprinkling because baptism it means covered it means you know surrounded by immersion. Some of you, you might be baptized in sorrow right now. You might be baptized in tribulation. You know we use that word. You know my kids when they've thrown up on me before I you know I got baptized. You know like, why do you say it? Because I'm covered in vomit. You know and when you're covered in something baptism it means that. And for you to be saved you have to be covered by the Holy Spirit. You have to be. Bible says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit into the day of redemption. So baptism, it just means, it means a covering. It doesn't necessarily mean getting dunked in the water, even though that's a word that we use. And so therefore, when we let the Bible define itself, be its own commentary, we see that there are more definitions of baptism than what we see in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. We see that baptism does mean more than just being... Immersed in water, it means being covered by the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, the Bible does not contradict itself one bit when it says, Repent and be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized. And we're going to see more here in a little bit. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when you're saved. That's when you're baptized by the Holy Ghost. You know, the thief on the cross, we like to use him as an example. But he didn't get baptized. He got baptized with the Holy Ghost. And so He therefore he went to heaven. We like, we like to use that. But at the same time, it is. It's so clear, but people they get hung up on a definition. So baptiz- baptize is a word. And now let's look at another word that we saw because we saw repent and be baptized. Okay? Repent. What does repent mean? And there's a bunch of definitions for repent. We don't have time to go through all, of there, you know, and even in Baptist churches. There's a lot of debate over the word repent. Some people believe that repent, it means you have to turn from your sins. Because the word repent, it does imply a turn or a change. And then you've got some people that say, for you to be saved, you have to repent of your sins. Okay, well, first of all, look up repent of your sins in the Bible. It's not there. But let's just, let's give it, let's say that, okay, you have to be saved, you have to repent of your sins. You have to turn from your sins. You have to quit doing your sin. Well, how many of you have sinned since you got saved? How many of you totally quit sinning after you got saved? Anybody do that? Oh, well, it's it's, it's talking about the big ones. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, we can still do the little ones? Or is it repent? Of all your sins, that and that's what some people are teaching. You must repent of your sins. You need to quit sinning. You need to quit being a drunk. You need to start going to church. You need to, you know, you got, to, and they'll give you all these things that you got to do. Why? Because you got to repent of your sin. You know, these churches that don't believe in repentance. I believe in repentance. I absolutely believe in repentance. I, I have to believe in repentance. It's all over the Bible, but the Bible never says that repent means to quit sinning, or to turn from your sin. At least not in the sense of salvation, because there are, there are, there's are several definitions of repent. God repented. The first time you ever see the word repent in the Bible, God repented. He was going to kill the whole world. But then God repented of that. He changed his, he changed his mind. That's kind of interesting. And so, let's let the Bible define the word repent, okay? Acts chapter 16, verse 30, because one of the definitions of repent is to change the mind, okay? To change the mind. Now Acts chapter sixteen verse thirty. I'm going to read a bunch of verses here, uh, and if you want to write them down, you can. I'm going to go fast. Philippian jailer. Talking about the Philippian jailer says, and he brought them out and said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" And they said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house." Do you hear that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved in thy house. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Okay. John chapter 3 verse 15. John chapter 3, one of the most well-known passages of scripture in the Bible. John chapter 3 and verse 15. It says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then jump down to verse twenty-one. It says, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Uh, That's what the verse I wanted. Uh, Verse 36. I don't know where I got twenty one. Verse 30. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth upon him. Right there. We see believe over and over again. We see it three times right there in the book of John. And then In John chapter five, verse twenty four it says, Verily, verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Why, when you believe on him. John twelve forty four, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. All right, now listen, watch this. Okay, this is important, because that I mentioned the thief on the cross, didn't I? I mentioned the thief on the cross. And people will try to say, well, he was the last one to get saved from the Old Covenant. Because people got saved different in the Old Testament than they did in the New Testament. The New Covenant or the New Testament, it started on the day of Pentecost. It started It started then. And no, because people back before Christ, they believed in God to be saved And after now we have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. But notice what Jesus said here in John twelve forty four. He said, Jesus said to them, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Did y'all see that? We're not believing on him, we're believing God, aren't we? See, it's the same thing, isn't it? it's a package deal. You can't say you believe in God and don't believe in Christ. You can't say you believe in Christ and you don't believe in God. It's the same thing. People are getting saved the same way today as they did in the Old Testament. They believe God. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. All throughout the Old Testament you can see they believe God. They believe God. You know, and today same thing. You know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not believing on him, but on him that sent him. You're believing God. It's the same thing thing. The thief on the cross got saved the same way as everybody did in the day of Pentecost. It has always been the same thing. John 12.45, and he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as it is written, or Romans nine thirty three, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. And the wonderful thing about this passage, I could preach a whole message just on this verse right here. It says, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Do you know why Jesus and the message of Christ and the gospel is an offense to some people? Because they think there is no way you can be saved just by believing on Christ. You've got to clean your act up first. Your good works have to outweigh your bad. There is no way just by believing on Christ that you can secure your salvation. You at least have to have a changed life afterwards. You have to have repentance. You have to repent of your sins. You have, if you were doing bad before, you have to quit doing that. You've got to change your life or you at least have to make a good effort. And you know what? That's an offense to people. What? Just believing on Christ? That's way too easy. And you know what? They don't have that childlike faith. And many people fall because of this. What I'm preaching to you right now, as thrilling as it is to us, is an offense to most religious people. They don't want to hear that, no, you have to be good. You have to do some good thing. Just like that rich young ruler. Very religious. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? That's how people think. But that's not how it works. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans ten eleven. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. And when the Bible says repent and be baptized, it means a change in mind. It makes perfect sense because we've only got a couple of verses in the Bible that mentions that you, that says to repent to be saved, and then we've got a ton that say believe. Well, then if repent does mean a change of mind then that lines up perfectly with all those verses about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to go from... to repent means I didn't believe in Christ. Now I've changed my mind. I do believe in Christ. Salvation right there. They didn't believe. They're an unbelief. Because they do not believe, the wrath of God abideth on them. But when they repent, when they change their mind, when they go from saying I do not believe in Christ to I do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then they're saved. That, my friend, is repentance right there. If you let the Bible define repentance, it is very clear it's to go from not believing to believing. If you let the theologians define repent, if you let their dictionaries define repent, if you let a Bible commentary define repent, then you're going to get, yeah, you you got to turn from your sins. You know, I wish we could preach that. I heard a preacher say this yesterday. You know, this eternal security thing, it's kind of messing things up for us sometimes. I wish I could tell you all, you better keep coming to church or you're going to lose your salvation. I might have a little more power over you all. You know, you better keep putting your money in the offering or you're going to lose your salvation. But, can't really do that, can I? It's very clear, you're saved, you stay saved. And I hope you, I hope you keep coming to church. I hope you keep doing the right thing. But i it would be convenient if I could hold that over on you. But I'd be lying if I did that. Yeah, I'd rather not do that. First John 5, verse 10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. 1 John was written for two purposes. It was for those who believe. It was for those who were saved so they could know that they were saved. And it was also for those who weren't saved so they would believe. And then therefore be saved. I mean, it's all over the Bible. And yet, you can't find one verse in the Bible that says repent of your sins. But people say we've got to repent of your sins all the time. Meaning, you have to turn from your sins. You have to quit doing those sins. You have to have a change in direction. No, you have to have a change in mind. That's very clear. If you let the Bible define itself, repent means to change your mind. To go from not believing in God to believing in God. And notice in 1 John 5.10, it uses the term too, that if we don't believe that, that we may, if we don't believe God, we made him a liar, and that's the last word I want to look at real quick. A liar. Well, well, what's a liar? Well, it's a person who tells a lie, right? Okay. Well, I I'll, I'll agree in you know in English language, you know, if you tell a lie, you are a liar, correct? All right. Well, so now let's look at a verse in Revelation twenty. Um, Oh, where is it? Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. you all see that? All liars are going to hell. So you know what? You, You miss church next week and you lie to me about your excuse. Oh, I was sick. And you weren't sick? Liar. You're going to hell. Doesn't it say all liars are going to hell right there? You lied to your wife. You told her she didn't look fat in that outfit. And she did. You liar. <laughs> all liars are going to have their part in the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says, right? I've been there in the invitations before. Hey, if you know you're saved, raise your hand. Don't you lie. Don't you lie. All liars are going to hell many times. Don't you lie in the church house. Don't you be smiling at me when you're really frowning out. Say, you can lie to somebody just with your face. You can lie without even saying a word. You're acting like everything's okay, but you're lying. You liar. You're on your way to hell. Isn't that what the Bible says? All liars. Well, here's let's let the Bible define a liar. Now, who wrote the book of Revelation? John wrote the book of Revelation, right? Well, in 1 John 2, verse 22... It says, who is a liar? Who is a liar? What's a liar? Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Now, right there. So what is he talking about when he's talking about a liar? A liar is someone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That's a liar. This isn't talking about just every lie that there is. Every lie that can be told. It's talking about those who deny that Jesus is a Christ. If you deny that Jesus is a Christ, it's clear you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, do you? But if you confess that Jesus is the Christ, it is clear that you do believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, everyone in the world who is not saved and did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are liars, aren't they? We saw there in 1 John that those who don't believe God's witness, they make Him a liar. Well, God's not the liar, but you're saying He is a liar. And if you say God's a liar, it's very clear you're the liar. Anyone who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are a liar, and all liars are going to have their part in the lake of fire. All liars are going to hell. John chapter 8, the book of John, the Gospel of John, also the writer of Revelation, the writer of 1 John. Verse 42. 8, verse 42. Uh, Let me turn over there real quick. Look at what he says. Jesus said unto him, "...if God were your Father, ye would love Me. For I proceed forth and came from God, neither came I of Myself, but He sent Me. Why do you not understand My speech?" even because ye cannot hear My word. Ye are of your father the devil. And people always say, we're all God's children. No, the devil's got some kids too. Who are the devil's kids? Those who don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father's father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe Me not. Which of you convinces Me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe Me? Did you all see that? He's talking about the devil. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He is the father of all liars. And you all are liars. You are children of the devil. Why? Because you don't believe Me. Those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only are they liars, they're children of the devil. He is the father of lies. He is the father of liars. Jesus Christ is truth. John 8, verse 55, Yet ye have not known Him, but I know Him. And if I should say I know Him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know Him. And keep it saying, Jesus said, if I say I don't know God, I'm a liar like you. Why? Because they're denying God. They're denying Jesus Christ. And that person is a liar. So you know what, husband? If your wife says, do I look fat? I'm going to encourage you to lie in that situation, alright? You know, it's not talking about that. It's talking about those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. Those who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the liar. You have to let the Bible define itself, and then it it, it can all make sense. And it is. It's real easy sometimes when you're studying to see a verse like that that says something scary to death. All liars. Well, a liar is anyone who tells a lie. I told a lie today. Do I need to get saved again? And you go and you pray and you ask Jesus to save you again and you say another lie tomorrow. Huh. But you can't lose your salvation, right? That's what everybody's telling us, so what do we do? And you can get discouraged by that. And I'm telling you, I've been there. We've all been there before. But whenever that happens, what you just need to do, don't ever get up. Just keep studying. Just keep studying. These things can become clear. I have a whole message that I preached on liars years ago. I didn't preach it here. I preached it years ago. I had a whole message, and I was going to preach it one time. And I was going here. I was going over all the notes. I was studying for it and everything. And I caught that verse in 1 John. I'm like, my message wasn't biblical. You know what? I was defining liar wrong. I was defining it according to the dictionary, but I wasn't defining it according to the Bible. And I did. I wondered. I look at all these liars out there that are lying all the time and thinking, man, they can't be saved. But wait, no. They weren't denying Christ. Okay? They just were telling me stories so I'd stay off their back or whatever. <laughs> and you shouldn't do that either, folks. Okay? You shouldn't lie to people. Okay? But at the same time, that does not mean they're going to hell. That's those who deny Jesus Christ. Those who do not believe. And these words, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah, you do need to be baptized to go to heaven. You need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. You do need to repent to be saved. What does it mean to repent? It means to go from not believing to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. All liars are going to hell. Why? Because all liars are those who deny the Jesus Christ. Those who do not believe. Just like is throughout the whole Bible. And when you come across those things that throw you off, maybe they seem like they're a contradiction. You know, if you see something wrong in the Bible, it's not because there's something wrong in the Bible. There's something wrong with our thinking. And... I've still got some things I'm working on. I haven't figured out yet. But you know what? I'm just going to keep studying. And that's what you've got to do. Just keep on studying. Just keep on reading the Bible. Keep on listening. Keep on asking the questions. And the Lord will reveal these things to you, and you'll be thrilled to death. It's, it's exciting. So with that, let's all stand together.